This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Instead of just focusing on on any given part of that funnel, our responsibility encompasses the entire user funnel, which is great because because then we're always focused on ensuring we're driving the right quality of users that that are ultimately going to lead to our best lifetime value. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormhaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. I have with me today, Lomit Patel, who's the vice president of growth at IMVU. It would be great if you could uh, just introduce yourself real quick to the audience. Yeah. Hi, Esther. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Just to let everybody know, my name is Lomit Patel. I head up growth at IMVU, which is the world's largest avatar-based social network app. So it's like a role-playing game where people create avatars and create these virtual worlds where they can meet people from all around the world. So it's really popular. And, you know, we have millions of users that that play on our game today. We've been growing rapidly before, but but the shelter in place has definitely helped us. You know, we've seen an abundance growth, especially on the organic side. And primarily, you know, us, like a lot of other like social and, and gaming apps, you know, provides people an outlet, right, to uh, to pass time. But, but with our game, it's it's more about continuing to have that human connection, right? So, you know, it's been doing really well, fortunately. Always good to have some good news uh, in times like this. Yeah. I'd also love to understand, you know, when you talk about growth, what are the key KPIs that you're looking for? What sort of metrics do you define as growth? That is a really good question. When it comes to true growth teams, you can't really work with vanity metrics, right? So for us, you know, the two metrics we're, we're always optimizing towards is our ROAS and cost to acquire a customer. And just to give us a little bit of sense of, you know, what kind of scale we're looking at, can you give a a ballpark range on the kind of MAUs, DAUs, something like that, number of installs, just to give us an idea of what we're looking at? I mean, total, you know, IMVU's been around like 16 years and we've had probably north of like 250 million registered users. But currently, you know, in terms of MAUs, we're probably uh, north of 7 million a month right now. In terms of installs, I would say, you know, we don't really actually, you know, we don't really focus on installs like maybe some folks do, you know, you know, we're always optimizing towards downstream events and primarily the events being new payers and, and, and revenue. But, but in general, we're getting, in terms of budget, we're spending, depending on seasonality, it could be like, you know, millions or several millions a month. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So I kind of want to jump right in. You are, I'd say, uh, quite a recognized expert when it comes to AI and growth through AI. And I'd love if you could talk us through what that means a little bit, how this strategy actually works for you, how you utilize it day to day. I mean, for us, the exciting thing about working in growth is that, you know, the company's really looking to us to drive growth forward. And the way we define growth is 
you know, my team is responsible for the entire customer journey. So it's from user acquisition to retention to monetization. Instead of just focusing on, on any given part of that funnel, our responsibility encompasses the entire user funnel, which is great because because then we're always focused on ensuring we're driving the right quality of users that, that are ultimately going to lead to our best lifetime value customers. That's such an important point. I think you see it a lot in uh, in companies where you silo off different departments. So you have one person who's responsible for bringing in the traffic and they're measured on you know typical UA KPIs. And then you have somebody else who's working on optimizing for in-game. And you know every step along the way we have you know, if you're looking for different KPIs and you're focused on different things, you don't have that communication to say, hey, we're great. You brought in incredible users through this campaign, but none of them are doing anything for us within the app. So yeah, amazing that you guys are looking at it in the more holistic way. I would add what you said is really important because I've kind of seen kind of the benefits and the downsides of just having different teams sort of focusing on different different areas. I think ultimately, you know, when it comes to growth, it's really good to have one team that's actually responsible for the entire metrics. That doesn't mean that the entire team is going to be able to execute across the board, but, but they have to kind of become the Sherpa who's, who's basically managing on prioritizing how the other teams end up supporting them to try and achieve those, those growth metrics. So can you talk us through how does it look when you have, you know, what does it mean practically, this cross down the funnel, full optimization? So what it means is that, you know, the conversations can be a lot easier or harder, depending on how your numbers are going. <laughs> but for us, what it means is ultimately we have a pretty big say when it comes to having a seat at the table. You know, every year when the business is setting goals as far as, hey, what's going to be our revenue target? How much are we going to grow? how does a product roadmap need to be influenced to support that growth? You know, my team has a pretty good say, not only on the strategic side of, of, of how the business needs to be going, but, but also in terms of on the execution and tactical side, in terms of how the other teams ultimately end up setting goals that ladder up to supporting the overall growth goal, which I think is really important. Is there a specific strategy that you were, uh, you know, specifically proud of that you and your team have put in place? So what I would say, you know, there's obviously different strategies that work for different businesses when it comes to growth. And, you know, the best strategy is always a balance of user acquisition and retention. You, you know, you don't really want to just focus on one and neglect the other part of that. What I'm proud of is the fact that we've always had and, and I guess it really comes down to how we've measured success and, and, and responsibilities that we encompass, which is the entire user journey, which means that we get to focus on both of those sides. And the way we've been able to do that, that has been different from uh, the way I've previously done it at other companies, because I've managed growth for over 20 years at a number of different startups, is that over here, I've been here coming up to about four years now, one of the things um, that excited me about joining IMVU was I joined them at a point where growth was actually going in the wrong direction because it used to be like a desktop app. When I joined, that's when they were sort of moving into mobile, but they never really spent much money. So for the most part, you know, there was a lot of skeptics about whether mobile was going to work or not. And so the good and the bad side of that was that I was coming into a situation where you know, nobody really believed that mobile was going to really save the business. But at, this, at the same time, what I knew was that MVU had a lot of great user data. You know, we get a lot of user data 
in mobile, we don't get a lot of time. Pe you know, people's user attention is, is somewhat shorter. So you have to be able to react in real time. And the way that they was doing user acquisition before was the typical way where, you know, you kind of have a bunch of analysts, data scientists, and, you know, you kind of, you know, use spreadsheets, download data, look at what's going on, and then go back and, and, and do these manual changes in, in, across different ad exchanges and partners. Uh, but long story short, you, they weren't reacting in real time. So the strategy that I ended up implementing was really helping to implement um, AI and automation into how that role would fit into growth for us. And, and so it was all about being really leveraging you know, the digital tech platforms that were potentially out there and figuring out how we could sort of put a couple of platforms together and, and, and make AI work for us. An example being uh, AppsFlyer is our mobile measurement partner. You know, I mean, for the most part, MVU had a culture of trying to build everything. And I said, no, we don't want to build our own mobile measurement attribution system for mobile. So we brought AppsFlyer in for that. The other part of that was, you know, we worked with um, LeanPlan to do a lot of our automation and CRM. And then we ended up creating, a, you know, our own customer data platform where we were able to integrate all of our data across mobile and desktop into one place. And we have a unique identifier, so it's easier for us to track across platform usage with, with unique customer IDs and, and unique email addresses. And so now that we were getting this data, the way we ended up growing mobile was because I, I had relationships with a lot of these partners like Google and Facebook, and we were actually were able to work really early with Snapchat before anybody was really advertising. We were like one of the beta partners to help them figure out how advertising worked four years ago. People talk about TikTok now. We were with TikTok over two years ago, helping them to figure out how they were going to monetize all these users. So I would say, you know, one of our secret powers has been to partner with companies in the alpha and beta stages where they're trying to figure out different ad models and, and like Google UAC, everybody uses it now, but we were using it way back. But the long story short was, you know, I've always been a big proponent of artificial intelligence and I had the ability to really implement it here at MView. But the way I was able to implement it was to really learn how these other AI systems work across different partners, because by being as part of the alphas and betas with Facebook and with Google and with all of these different ad networks that or DSPs that had AI implemented in some way, shape, or form. I really came to really understand, you know, what were the data events that really mattered? How were they really, you know, leveraging AI or machine learning to try and optimize their algorithms to try and drive scale? And what I came to realize was ultimately and this is good because every business has to do what's best for them. Their algorithms were set up to try and help advertisers be successful on their platform, but it was done in silos because they had never had a holistic view into how they really compared to Google. They never had an idea how it compared to Facebook. It had an idea how Google compared to other campaigns we were running in Google, but it never had the holistic view. And so what we ended up doing was to try and build a layer that really sat between us and all these different partners where we were spending money. So with that AI intelligent machine that we ended up leveraging was ultimately using real-time data signals, which is the same signals all these other machines work on. But instead of looking at it in silos, it was looking at it holistically. And it was basically making decisions in real time around bids, budgets, and creatives to really figure out what's, you know, how much we should be paying at any given time across 
all these different ad partners because every ad partner is an ad exchange at the end of the day. And the way I got that inspiration was really studying the finance industry and looking at how you know trading desks work because ultimately they have to buy and sell if you're a trader you know you can't just make money when the market's going up you you got to be able to buy and sell and make monies on, on on the margins and that's the way i see how you know sophisticated paid user acquisition folks work the only difference being is that you were kind of giving fixed budgets to different partners when you could have more fluidity by having it more flexible because at any given time certain partners and, and exchanges are going to be more efficient just based on supply and demand. And that, I would say, was the secret source that for our strategy, which was to really be agile in terms of how we were allocating budgets. And, and we were optimizing ultimately towards a lifetime value user. So we were, we were getting all of this data. And in that data, we were making predictions on how much any given user from any given campaign was really worth to us based on where they were coming from. That's amazing. I think, you know, first of all, I love the finance analogy because it's so true. You know, you set specific budgets for Facebook and you set specific budgets, even on a campaign level, forget even on a platform level. And it's very hard to react. Nobody reacts to that real time. You can't do it on a human level. It's just too difficult. That's awesome. I'm curious when you switch over to the role of AI, obviously the role of somebody who's in charge of user acquisition and somebody who's traditionally been involved in growth in UA, their position has to inevitably change. What does that look like when you're not actively managing the bids and actively reviewing your campaigns in that way? The good and bad is, um, and I'm not sure if, if other people have run into this problem, but living in San Francisco, especially when the economy was great, you know, obviously it's a little challenging right now. It's really hard to hold on to folks that are really working in user acquisition. Ironically, you know, most of my best user acquisition folks were getting poached by Google and Facebook, right? After, you know, they were getting trained on how, on how to do the work. The good and bad part is, you know, people at that level are generally going to move jobs for like $10,000, give and take, even though they don't realize, you know, half of that ends up going back into taxes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. The secret of the, of the raise, it only, it only gives you a little bit more. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. But yeah, so basically one of the things when I started, I had, had a much bigger team, but, but what I ended up doing was once I started transitioning to AI, I started bringing in the right types of people that would really be able to embrace this, not fight this, because, you know, that's half the battle is you got to bring people in that because, because for this technology to work, I had to bring in people that were able to think strategically and were able to, to, to not want to be getting in and doing all the manual tasks and processes around analyzing data, download, you know, uh, and, and, and wanting to go and change and turn the dials. I wanted people to set the machine up to do a lot of that work. And in order to do that, we had to make sure, for example, you know, one person has to be really uh, smart around data because ultimately you need someone to kind of look at the algorithms and make sure there's no biases or anything like that happening and that, that we're not over-indexing or we're so obsessed on, on optimizing towards an outcome where we end up driving, you know, users that look good in the short term, but not good in the long term. So, you know, you know, I tried to hire, you know, one person that was really strong on the data side. I hired one person who was really strong on the creative side because we ultimately ended up building a creative team in house because creative testing became a big facet of how a machine works. Because part of it is, isn't just, you know, finding the right users at the right price. It's also 
getting much smarter around personalization in terms of what's the right message that would stand out for us versus our competitors. So a lot of that really comes from, you know, increasing the iterations of creative testing. To give you an example, we'll, uh, any given month, we're probably testing around five to 10,000 different variations of creative. But, but a lot of that really comes from like creating videos in static. With static, generally we create templates where we have feeds that are changing different call to action, headlines and images in real time based on who our AI is trying to target. And then with videos, you know, it's a little bit harder to sort of change in videos. So we're sort of changing different themes around different videos and, and passing that data back to our creative team to, to, to really use that data to come up with new iterations of creatives that we continue to keep feeding into the machine. And then, you know, ultimately having people that are strong on the soft skills like communications, leadership, relation building, because, you know, a, a big part of our people, my team excel with machine can't is really reaching out to different partners, for example, Google and Facebook and, and, and ensuring we have those relations in place so we can continue to get, you know, into their different, you know, beta programs that are out there as well as uh, identifying new channels for us to be testing. And internally, you know, we have to continue to champion what we're doing so that other teams continue to support us on, on, on what we need. Because a big part of that is, you know, making changes in the product, making sure that, you know, our data doesn't break. Because as you know, every time there's SDK updates that happen with partners, that can generally happen if you don't overlook that. So ensuring that there's really good checks and balances along the whole process that into all the different systems that go into supporting uh, AI intelligent machine. Yeah, that's wow, it's amazing. Um, but also, you you uh, touched on a point that I'm super interested in, which is you know you do have these algorithm changes or platform updates or what have you that you know some maybe a little bit more minor, some more major. Obviously, I'm thinking about Apple's announcement about the IDFA, and I would imagine you know it's it has a pretty pretty extreme effect on on everyone. Have you thought at all about how how to accommodate that? How do you have an AI at such a scale that you guys have it at, you know, not fall prey to these kinds of uh, changes. You know, what Apple announced shouldn't have really been a surprise to people, primarily because they already have been talking a lot about user privacy for, for a while. That's kind of been part of, you know, a position that they've taken. And they introduced limited ad tracking. I believe it was probably like September 2019, but it was about a year ago. I can tell you what we've did. Um, on our end, because one of the things I try to do is always plan 12 to 18 months ahead and, and then try to anticipate, you know, worst case scenario and, and sort of plan for that. A good example is I, like most people, never saw this COVID-19 thing coming. I mean, this is just this been a crazy. <laughs> yeah, this has, been, this has been a crazy disaster and unfortunately impacted a lot of people in, in a lot of negative ways. But what I did plan for was was like two years ago that there was a recession that was going to come because ultimately, you know, the stop, yeah, I, I mean, I've been around long enough to live through a couple of recessions and I know what goes up ultimately has to come down and correct itself. And so that's where our AI really helped us because, you know, back in March when, when a lot of shelter in place started to take place, because we have a machine that does a lot of these is automated in terms of how it allocates and optimizes our campaigns. When the costs started to come down naturally with a lot of advertisers pulling out, 
a machine just started to scale up our spend because for the most part, we have an open budget as long as we're hitting our ROAS and our, and our cost to acquire customer goals. And so, you know, you know that, that was one example where humanly we might have taken a different approach and in, in sort of step back and, and maybe lost the opportunity. But we were able to acquire, you know, we were able to spend like 60, 70% more efficient, more budget during the last oh wow you know in q2 and what happened was ultimately we, we were kind of front loading our you know, our second half of the year budget into, into q2 because things were so much more efficient for us to to acquire users competition went down so uh significantly yeah and the other thing that we did preparing for apple we didn't know when they were going to make this announcement but we wanted to make android to become you know an important business for us as well and because generally iOS obviously has the best quality users for us. So we always try to prioritize feature updates on iOS versus Android. So there was a bit of a, a gap between feature parity between those two platforms. But in the last 12 months, we hired more people on the Android side to, to try and close the gap on feature parity, primarily because uh, Android app at the time was lacking a lot of the, the retention and the monetization options that our iOS had. And so, you know, we had that in place and, 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 and that's really helped us to continue to spend more on Android. And so, you know, as a result of what's happening right now, one thing that's gonna happen that we know, because our machine is so highly dependent on, on, on ROAS data. And, and a lot of that, the, the benefit right now is, you know, with iOS, it's all based on deterministic data because with an IDFA, you can really identify who is coming from where and how much they're spending. So what we've started to do now is, is work on more probabilistic models based on uh, apps via data, as well as work on um, web to app data because we have cross-platform usage. And the third thing we're starting to work on is try to build some more media mix models so that we can leverage some more kind of indirect data signals to try and figure out how to attribute for iOS because yeah, iOS is going to get challenged because if we don't get that real-time data, it's, it, it's going to sort of challenge us. So one way to mitigate that is our machine's naturally going to spend more on Android because, you know, that's, that's I, I don't anticipate Google making any changes this year anyway. Not, yeah, yeah. not for a year no, at yeah. least. <laughs> yeah. But, but what I will say, the big difference between Google and, and Apple is that Google's debt business is highly dependent on advertising, right? That's, that's their core. Well, Apple's business isn't dependent on advertising, so they can't take, you know, a different approach to how they want to be positioned in the industry. Apple's business is based on service. I mean, services is becoming a big part of their revenue. If they completely cut the legs of, of advertisers to grow their apps, that's going to indirectly impact their share price down the road. I'm a proud Apple shareholder and I know ultimately, you know, companies need to find a balance of, you know, what's the right thing to do, but what's right for the business. You know, I feel if people haven't done this, but more people are going to start focusing on Android or at least try to figure out how to monetize users better on Android. And, and then beyond that, try to figure out with other data signals and it's going to be more probabilistic and deterministic to really figure out how that can come into play. One other option I know a lot of people are talking about is the SDK ad network. Between you and me, uh, at least from what I understand on that, I don't think that that would really work well for us from an AI perspective, primarily because we rely on real-time data signals and, and that's not real-time. 
And then, and then the second part of that is, I think it's kind of limited to maybe like a hundred campaigns and we're running like tens of thousands of campaigns. So do we need to cherry pick like, you know, which are the hundred campaigns that we want to, so, so I feel ultimately it's going to be, it's, it's, it's like any puzzle which is what I enjoy about our yeah. industry because there's never a dull moment. There's always some curveballs are being thrown at us, right? To keep us on our toes. So, you know, right now it's a matter of taking a couple of different pieces and trying to figure out before that announcement happens. And even when that announcement hap- comes into play near the end of September, I think it's generally still going to take, you know, a couple of months before m- more people are going to sort of you know, upgrade to that. So, you know, it, it will give us enough time to really figure out, you know, the right weight and the right model to attribute for it, but it's not going to be completely accurate, but, but that's where AI is really helpful because it kind of helps you ultimately refine your algorithms to work on, on, on data where it's not going to be like hundred percent accurate, but you need to figure out what risk are you willing to deliver it? Like 60, 70% accuracy to make those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, in our industry, there's, there's always going to be some level of inaccuracy, even ROAS as a metric. It's such a hard metric to, to figure out how to calculate because you can't look at a user's entire lifespan and, uh, you know, take that and, and call it, you have to make some, some level of sacrifice. And, you know, it sounds like you're ready and ready for Apple to bring it on and you've got, uh, you've got your steps planned out. So that's great. I have uh, one last question about, uh, you know, kind of, your your AI and the strategy at IMV, which is, you know, let's say you could flash back four years, start doing it all over again. You're faced with that same challenge. Growth is going in the opposite direction. You're trying to move to mobile. Is there anything you do differently? I would say, you know, I mean, for the most part, what we've done has, has worked out well for us. Um, what I would do differently is instead of creating that, that, that huge gap between iOS and Android, because our apps ended up becoming the, the feature difference was 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 pretty significant at any given point because we were just focused on like one app at the expense of the other and and you know ideally don't want to be in a situation where that happens because i mean we're, we're fortunate that we started to prioritize android early enough but imagine folks that haven't right now and that's going to cause a sea shift in terms of how they allocate and hire resources to try and get their android app up so i think you know the key thing is, and we've done this pretty well, I would say for the most part, is always try to have a diverse approach to whatever you're doing. Don't be relying on any given channel, any given partner, or, or, or any given like em- employee, because ultimately those things can shift or change at any given time. And, and if you're so highly dependent on that one wearable, then it can kind of put you into a tailspin. So try to be broadly diverse as much as possible. Don't be highly dependent on just working on Google or Facebook. Try to diversify your user acquisition channels. Don't try to just focus on UA. Try to focus on retention because ultimately it's not about how many you bring in, it's about how many you keep. And then the third part, and I know more people are doing this, is identify the right you know, key metrics that really drive long-term success. You know, Registrations sound nice. Millions of installs could be cool. But ultimately, what does that mean for revenue? And what does it mean for paying customers? Yeah, 100%. Very well said. Okay, I'm going to finish you off now with our quick fire round. Quick questions that we ask everyone. The first one. (laughs) Yeah, you ready? I'm ready. As long as I don't get shot down if I get it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a a pop quiz, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. If you could give just one tip to an aspiring growth marketer, what would it be? 
I would say um, know your numbers. Your favorite mobile growth resource? I would say I love, I mean, obviously, you know, you know I love reading about different ad tech uh, solutions that are out there. But the other thing is, is just continue to read as much as possible in the industry because things are changing so much. You know, I, like I would encourage people to listen to this podcast, but listen to, you know, different podcasts that are out there because it's, it's really funny. You could listen to the same people talking about the same thing with 20 different opinions, but ultimately, you know, the broader knowledge you get on any, any given topic by reading around it and studying around it, the more you're able to develop your own point of view on it. Who is the person in mobile growth that you would most want to take out for lunch and why? I would say I love to take everyone out. You know, I, I love going to conferences. <laughs> you know, right now, the thing I miss the most is just being stuck at home for the most part. So if anybody wants to go to lunch with me, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> it's an open invitation. It's an open invitation. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of these Zoom lunches, right? You know, <laughs> They're, they don't compare. They really don't compare. <laughs> Okay, and uh, it's on topic, and it's our most important question. What is your favorite flavor of pancake? I'll be honest, I'm not a big pancake, uh, but Ooh. but but I will say that you know I have kids, so I do know about pancakes, and it's, <laughs> it, it's normally like chocolate chip. Okay, amazing. Thank you so so much. That was that was awesome. And for people who want to find out more about you, your thoughts, learn more, where can they find you? Yeah. Uh, so I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you know, anybody who reaches out to me, I'm happy to connect with, with folks. I'm always posting a lot of stuff about what I'm reading and, and, and what I'm learning in the industry. So on LinkedIn, Lamit Patel, I also have a blog where I write more articles. So my blog's really easy too. It's pretty much my name, LamitPatel.com. And then, you know, if anybody's interested in the book that, you know, I, I published recently, you know, that's available on Amazon. So Lean and I definitely check that out. For me, you know, I, I just love being part of this industry because things are always moving and changing. And the one thing that's constant is just the relationships you build, right? So you always want to continue to nurture and, 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 and give back because yeah, I wouldn't be here without other people giving me time to learn and grow as well. Lomit, thank you so much. That was incredible. I learned a lot. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Esther. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, excited to be one of the, the early ones on this show. And I know it's going to be uh, extremely popular. So I'll be listening in and cheering you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Stay safe. You too. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve app store performance, visit storemaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.